Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. I want to start with a special shout out to our listeners. You are now in all 50 of these United States and the District of Columbia, and also in 58 countries around the world. So if you're doing your walkabout somewhere in Africa right now, I think it's so cool that you're listening to us. Thank you so much for participating. And as regular listeners know, I am working on my next book. So in this season, I'm talking to game-changing leaders in and around the oil and gas industry to explore specifically how companies can translate decarbonization aspiration into action. And if you're familiar with some of the talks I give, you know that there is really no better guest than today's. And that is Alice Jackson. At the time of recording this episode, she was the president of Excel Energy Colorado. But I would like to congratulate her because by the time this episode drops, she has been promoted to chief planning officer and senior vice president of system strategy at Excel. Congratulations to both Alice and to Excel. (laughs) Here in Colorado, Excel serves 1.4 million natural gas customers customers and 1.5 million electric customers. Alice has such an interesting background. She has a BS in management information systems from Texas A&M, and she's completed the program for leadership development at Harvard. She started working in GTT and IT positions at companies including Enron and Oxy before becoming director of energy ventures at Oxy in 2004, then became the VP of rates and regulatory affairs at Excel, where she began that chapter in Amarillo, Texas in 2011. As you'll hear from our conversation, she later moved to um, my great home state of Colorado. You can learn more about Alice's biography in our show notes. Now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alice Jackson as much as I enjoyed recording it. Alice Jackson, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Things podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Well, Alice, I want to jump in because, um, as you know, I really like to follow what Excel is doing because you are often ahead of the pack. And, And last year, Excel in Colorado announced some net zero goals for its natural gas business by 2050. And this is noteworthy because decarbonizing the gas part of a utilities business is really different than thinking about the electricity side. So part of that was a 25% cut in natural gas emissions by 2030. And I'm wondering if you could just translate this into reality for us. What does that mean? How do you work on it? And how's progress so far? Absolutely. So I'm happy to dive in, but I think a little bit of grounding is important first too, is uh, you mentioned how we've been leading the clean energy transition in the country. And that really started with a bold announcement back in 2018 on the electric side of our business, where we said, um, you know, we were going to work towards a zero carbon system by 2050. We put a benchmark out there in 2030 of saying uh, at least an 80% carbon reduction by that time frame. We put the guardrails of affordability and reliability around that. We've continued to look at, okay, what is the progress around carbon and emissions overall. We made an additional commitment to electric vehicles and electrifying the transportation sector um, to try and get to about one and a half uh, million customers with EVs in our service territory across the eight states. And now this is a continuation of that evaluation, right? Technology has advanced. We're looking at the gas system. You're correct. The gas system is not the same as the electric system. And so when we look at the opportunity there, really, you kind of have to rewind time a little bit and go back to where we were 10, 15 years ago on the electric sector of saying, if we want to decarbonize that sector, we didn't have all the technologies we needed. 
So here we are with the gas sector, with the commitment we've made, 25% cut in natural gas emissions by 2030 and a net zero carbon system by 2050, which means technology is going to have to advance. So we're looking at a variety of pieces where we're engaging with third parties. We're looking at certified natural gas, renewable natural gas. How does hydrogen become part of the mix? There's a variety of things that we can go down and we can talk about here in our conversation today. Well, I'm going to embarrass you for a second because that 2018 announcement that you refer to was actually a really pivotal moment in my own development on this journey of how should companies meet these expectations of the public. And when you made that announcement in 2018 and you made it here in Colorado, um, right before the Polis administration came in, I thought they are crazy. Has that Alice Jackson lost her mind? But then it transformed the nature of the conversation in Colorado and that ability to create a shared aspiration, a shared North Star with policymakers, with the public, with your customers was really inspiring. And in fact, uh, I have a picture of you making that announcement in all the keynote presentations I give, Alice. So I'm glad that you um, brought that up because it was such a, a transformative moment uh, for, I think, all of us to see, to, for you to lead the way and, the, and then to continue here. Let's translate this down because I'm working on my next book and I'm thinking about how to translate that aspiration into action within a company. And you have a lot uh, more runway of experience than, than many companies, some of whom are just getting started right now. So how do you engage your employees and, and where there is inevitable resistance to this idea of setting these targets where technology maybe doesn't even exist yet? How do you engage your employees in, in that process? Well, I think, you know, thinking back to that 2018 announcement, and thank you, our leadership inside of the company, including at that point in time, our CEO, Ben Folk, was pivotal and really asking the questions about what can we achieve? Not what's the next increment, but what's the end goal? And then what's the pathway to get there? And I think involvement of your employees in that conversation, having opportunities for input, um, and then ultimately, you know, that over the horizon goal can be really motivating for employees to look at what are the possibilities? What are the technologies? Technologies. How do we ask, do we need to do it the same way that we've done it in the past? Um, but at the same time, you know, we're talking about an energy transition here where we are literally rebuilding a plane as we're flying it. And so that means that there has to be concentration on both sides of the coin there. When we're asked about what is the reliability of our system, our response is 99.98%, but the expectation of our customers is 100 Mm-hmm. And so how do you really keep that plane in the air at the same time as you're completely rebuilding it is a real question. But that's also what motivates our employees is because they recognize the value of what it is that we deliver to our customers and the importance and the pride of being able to do that for your customers and your communities is something that's foundational for our company and for our employee base. So as we continue to look out into the future of what is the potential for the energy sector? How do you drive a cleaner, more reliable, more affordable electric system, more affordable, cleaner, reliable gas system? Those are the questions that our employees are taking to heart. And I think one of the foundational pieces was where we started a number of years back with our three core strategic principles, which has really focused our employee base on what it is that we're doing on a day-to-day basis in everything we do. And those are, we lead the clean energy transition, we wanna enhance the customer experience, and we wanna keep bills low. And I think that's a really clear setup for what our focus is on a continuous basis, of course, underpinned by safety the entire time. 
It's so interesting that you say the customer expectation is 100%. I live in an Excel territory and I want to just have a, a quick segue shout out to those field employees because where I live in rural Colorado has been devastated at one time by a fire, devastated another time by a flood. And then all the normal stuff like people growing marijuana nearby who fry the electricity lines. And my experience with the team members from Excel who come out to my house and work literally through the night on holidays, on weekends to keep my little house running is extraordinary. And so it is interesting. We were talking about these lofty, big picture, net zero ambitions, but the reality on the ground is so physical and so urgent um, and so key to our quality of life. And um, it's it must be just must be a challenge to always be trying to balance this, as you said, over the horizon vision. And then it's like, yeah, and engineers and people in the field have to actually keep electrons flowing, keep gas flowing to customers. So I'm not going to give you a chance to respond to that, uh, but I'm going to just keep going. So in that balance that you have to hold in your mind um, between over the horizon and getting stuff done today, what is the future of the executive team of a company like Excel? What kind of qualities do you have to cultivate in yourself, in your coworkers, uh, in other leaders? Um, how should we be thinking about uh, our executives and how they can really hold all of these contradictions and all of these expectations? I think it's an excellent question when you think about, um, you know, how do you build a leadership team, but also how does that, um, you know, translate into communications throughout the organization to set the standard by example. And when I, I think about the traits and the characteristics, first off, um, you do want a natural tension on some of these discussions, right? You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and switch from one day to the next. It's going to take methodical, good thoughts on how do we transition the energy system as we see it today, whether it's electric or gas to the energy future that we're all trying to build. And it goes back to the mentality of the, the analogy around the plane. You have to continuously look at the existing facilities, equipment that you have, and have that mindset of uh, continuous uh, improvement on how am I going to get more out of that equipment? How do you make sure that, that it's also going to be hardened, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. for the new situations that you're facing? At the same time as looking at the uncertainties that may come in from new technologies, and how do you test those? How do you evaluate those? How do you collaborate with others and expand your horizon on who you're bringing in to have those conversations with? I'm really excited and proud of the utility industry because across the country, we have networks where we can partner together. We don't compete against each other directly. What we're trying to do is provide the best services we can to our customers in each of the situations that we face. For example, Colorado is very blessed with a lot of sunshine and wind, which means that the energy transition on the electric side of adding those resources in is a little bit easier for us because they're more prevalent. They can replace more of the non-zero carbon energy that we have on the system. But you go to a different state and you may not have either of those. And so solving the puzzle is going to take collaboration of identifying the problem statements and then working together in order to be able to solve those problems. So going back to your original question, what are the characteristics of an executive team that you need? You need a series of problem solvers mm. that also respect the history that comes to the table. 
And the simple fact is we run a system that is highly dependent on physics. And so the science behind it, the reliability that our customers demand, the importance of the role that we play in community and society, there needs to be a deep level of respect and trust on those. At the same time as you want to have that natural tension of looking at current versus future, making that shift, making those decisions, but also being willing to move Agilely. I know it's a, a popular term right now, but moving with agility is important in these spaces when you have facts. And then you also have long-term investments that you've made. So how do you do it in a way that makes sense to transition that also doesn't adversely impact the communities um, that are being impacted by it, as well as the cost for customers? One thing you brought up is really interesting, Alice, because no one has brought it up before, but I find it at the heart of my work as well. And this is that idea of respect for the history and even respect for the workforce that got us to this point and the the work, the work that got us here. So thank you for bringing that up, because I actually think if we get too focused on the pivot, the change, we we lose the groundedness of, of everything that we're building off of that, that allows us to go forward without affordable, reliable energy always on. We couldn't be thinking about the transition. We'd be thinking about how we're going to cook dinner. So it's really quite extraordinary. Do you have a story or, you know, a little vignette maybe of your experience that conveys why you have confidence that the Excel workforce is able to participate in this moment and in this tension? I do. Um, you know, our employees, they we engage them in a number of different ways for feedback. And, you know, I think it's always interesting to see the interaction um, of our employees on what pathway we can take and where it's going to go. And the most poignant one to me that I, I'm thinking about right now is, you know, the discussion that we've had with our more rural communities about what does this look like where we've had coal plants that are honestly closing early. And we had a legislative day where all of our employees come to hear about what's going on in the state legislature in Colorado. They have an opportunity to meet their representatives. We talk as a company about how we interact. And one gentleman came up to me at that event at the end of it. And he says, you know what? I'm so proud of what our company is doing. We're doing the right thing on leading the clean energy transition. He goes, I'm proud of what our state is doing and taking and making hard decisions on moving this forward. He goes, I just have one question. How am I going to feed my family? So it goes back to what you were talking about before that, you know, that emotional side of, you know, the transition and the choices that we're making, but he's fully supportive. And he had ideas for me that he went into after that on how can we help the community of Hayden, um, you know, make progress forward? What does this look like? Um, you know, he'd read about technologies and had all kinds of questions. I get asked about everything from nuclear to battery storage, to new hydro technologies, to geothermal. And so our employees bring those ideas and ways forward. And we found ways to create avenues for them to do it better. Everybody knows the um, the um, TV program Shark Tank. We have a mini internal Shark Tank where we provide opportunities for our employees to bring forward ideas along these lines. And then we literally fund them and move them forward. So it creates an avenue for our employees to be innovative, bring ideas forward, have those conversations and continue to move forward. Wow, that was really uh, encapsulated this tension, not just of uh, the present and the future, but the reality of the loss that is part of the transition here in Colorado. And I'll just give a quick tangent shout out to Coal at Sunset, which the Denver Museum of Nature and Science Institute of Science and Policy has a podcast about a transitioning coal town in Colorado, not in the Excel territory, but poignant 
uh, balance about this present and the future. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And that, that highlights this idea of Colorado, which I want to talk a little bit more about because um, you're not saying this, but I am, but I imagine Colorado is a very challenging place to run a utility because we have a lot of um, historic energy resources, coal, oil, natural gas. We have a huge rural uh, urban expanse of uh, different kinds of personalities and politics. And um, you have put together a clean energy plan. And I'm just curious, what, what, can you share about what you've learned about putting together a clean energy plan in Colorado and balancing all those needs within the guardrails you said of reliability and affordability? Like no one, no one's going to have any tolerance for the lights going off while these aspirations are underway. What have you learned so far? Oh my goodness. I have learned so much in going through this process. I've had the pleasure of being here in Colorado for the past eight years. I've uh, been with Excel for 11. And you know, more than anything, I think you said one word that encapsulates a lot of it, balance. We have a diverse set of mix of interests. We have a variety of types of customers. We have urban, we have rural, we have Republican, we have Democrat, we have residential, we have large industrial, we have sustainably minded, we have have sustainability deniers. I mean, it's you run the gamut, right, of the perspectives that are in the service territory that we have the pleasure to serve in the state of Colorado. So what it does come down to is balance. It's the balance of the physics. It's the balance of the cost. It's the balance of the community. And figuring out how do you bring all that together takes a lot of listening, sitting back and really hearing what people have to say, visiting with the coal communities that are impacted. And they're going, do you want to be an energy centric community again and have us reinvest? Or would you rather that not happen? It's sitting down and talking with the environmental organization saying, which of these technologies do you have more interest in? What do you prefer? What's the time frame? What's most important to you? Near term reductions or longer term reductions? How do we work this puzzle together in order to get to something that we all go, this is a good plan? And it's been exciting to work through this process over the past year because we put forward a proposal last March, so March of 2021, and we started the process at the Regulatory Commission to take a look at it and evaluate it. We had a number of parties uh, join in, give us their perspectives, give us their feedback. We got to an initial settlement in November that didn't include all of the parties that we then went to hearing on. And then we had some feedback uh, which is, this is a good part of listening that we then took into account. And we sat down again with the parties and we reached a second settlement, mm-hmm. which is currently in front of the commission for consideration and hopefully approval here in the next month. Uh, and so working together, is really about sitting down, listening, finding where the outcomes are clearly defined, and then finding a pathway to get there with multiple people, agencies, um, walks of life, interest areas, different communities. So it really is figuring out how do you do a really great job at stakeholdering and having the dialogues that you need to build a plan that is well accepted by a variety of interests. We will be right back to the Energy Thinks podcast, but are your company's ESG efforts falling behind the sector? Find out by downloading ESG in 2022, Adam Mateen's latest white paper, to find out which moves ESG leaders in oil and gas are making and what's now standard across the industry. Download ESG in 2022 today at energythinks.com. And now back to the show. What I, the subtext of everything you just laid out is that 
emotionally charged environment that you and your team have to be in. You're balancing all these people and perspectives and priorities, but at the same time, people are emotional, probably angry, urgent. There's so much fear around these topics as well. And so as we all are now spending time in this space, this space of trying to balance the present and the future, what do you think the most important components of Excel company culture are going to be, or really any company. Because um, I know from personal experience that being in those environments takes a huge toll on individuals, individuals who in many cases just want to do their science and engineering jobs. (laughs) And now we're in the middle of this like political whirlpool of emotions. Um, What do you think that how do cultures of companies have to evolve to um, participate in a meaningful way? Well, I think first off, you want to start with a foundational culture that is solid. And for me, you know, I look back and I reflect on the history. So Excel Energy in Colorado, we've been here and present for over 150 years. Now, 150 years ago, we were not doing electric service. It was, you know, buggies going up and down the downtown streets of Denver, lighting gas lights and then extinguishing them in the morning. So there's been this huge evolution over those 150 years to where we are today. But I will tell you, if you go to any one of the plants on our system in Colorado, or you go to one of the service centers where our linemen and journeymen, um, you know, work out of, they have such a sense of pride in what it is that they are delivering for the customers in our communities, because the service that we provide is a life essential. And so figuring out, you know, not only how to do that, but how to do that really well makes people feel good at the end of the day. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, they're out there in the middle of snowstorms, rainstorms, Mm -hmm. bomb cyclones, polar vortexes, you know, all these kinds of things, making sure that our customers and our communities, quite frankly, can thrive and move forward. So that foundation of pride in what it is that we can provide as the underpinnings of society is huge and what it is as a cultural standpoint. And that's multi-generational. I mean, aunts, mm-hmm. uncles, fathers, sons, you know, it continues on. And people talk about my grandpa worked at this plant. And it's really that that is so foundational and core to who we are and what we deliver. As we move forward through time, that's a great foundation to have. And that's why that respect for history is also important as we continue to look forward is what's the transition look like and how does that continue? Because you want to carry that kind of culture forward. Mm -hmm. As we go through the transition, it's going to be continued connection to community. So we have four core strategic values, committed, connected, safe, and trustworthy. And when you think about those, those are very descriptive and give you evokes a picture in your mind Mm -hmm. of the type of individual that you want. We are a purpose-driven company. We have purpose-driven roles. I found that out personally, Tisha, when I took the job with Excel 11 years ago. When I took it, it was a job. It was something to provide for my family that I thought was quality, had upwards potential, was opportunity for my family. But I quickly transitioned from the perspective of that to the perspective of I wake up every single morning with purpose and intent in what I do, because there's not another role I could have in our community where if I do a good job of it, I'm impacting more lives than any other social responsibility job or anything else, because we have every single person in that area depends on us for core livelihood needs that they have. Electricity, natural gas, they are foundational. 
to us being able to live our lives comfortably, have jobs and move forward. So it's moved from being an occupation (laughs) and a job to really being a purpose driven. And I think a lot of the culture inside of our company reflects that as well. We understand the gravity of what we have to deliver and we are motivated by that to do a great job. Wow, it really strikes me the similarities between what you described, that personal transformation, which I experienced as well when I ran the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. You go from, okay, it's an interesting, challenging job to, oh my gosh, I have 40,000 livelihoods in their families. We provide all of this life affirming um, energy to the world. And so I am struck by the opportunity within companies to tap into that for these the, this other piece, which is that really emotionally challenging um, arena. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in that, or, or, or maybe I, I read into it, is this idea of building trust between the companies and the communities and, and so many stakeholders. And you also mentioned this just huge diversity of communities and perspectives that you're working with. So I want to translate that to within the company and how putting diversity, equity, and inclusion within Excel, how does that translate into all of this work? Is it central to the way you're thinking about it? And is it a key component of how you engage and build trust within communities? I believe absolutely it's core. Um, At the foundational level, we provide services to every single customer, every single community, regardless of low income, high income, or any business in between. Um, And we take that incredibly seriously in how we not only serve our community, but how we help our community grow because we live, work and play in the same communities that we have the pleasure to serve. You know, one thing that comes to mind right off the top of my head is a number of years ago, I became very familiar with our initiatives that we were taking on around diverse suppliers and trying to figure out women-owned, minority-owned businesses that could participate in our bidding processes, our RFPs, how could we make them simpler so that those individuals and those businesses could thrive close to home by providing services to us. And, you know, I'm excited to say that 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 group and that focus has grown those number of businesses dramatically. And it's a great opportunity, not only for us to engage more closely with our communities, but for our communities and the entrepreneurs there that are, you know, minority women owned to find avenues to get to success. So focusing on those areas is incredibly uh, important. Fortunately, we also have a great pool of people to pull from, whether it's in accounting or it's in regulatory or it's in the field here in the state of Colorado to help drive our company look more like the communities that we serve. And we have a variety of wonderful opportunities and leading the clean energy transition it's kind of cool. <laughs> so attracting those individuals to our business, you know, and, you know, providing opportunities for growth is part that's just foundational to who and what we are. And I think it's going to be an increasingly central part of how companies are bridging the past and the future, bridging internal and external and balancing these operational and these emotional <laughs> requirements of these jobs because um, building trust is so central. Um, before we move to the last question, I want to spend a moment on innovation. I think it's really exciting. I kind of geek out over um, your uh, your work with LightSource BP on a 298 Eight megawatt solar farm in Pueblo. There's just so much interesting going going on in, in that very uh, industrial part of the state that also has its own really unique political and um, development history. Tell us a little bit about that and anything that uh, we should know about that project. 
No, I think it's it was a very interesting project to be on from the very beginning. Um, you know, so Everest Steel Mill is the steel mill that has built the Western U.S. rail system. Uh, it has over a hundred years of history, um, and we've been connected to that facility. Gosh, since the at least the early seventies uh, when they moved over to an electric arc furnace. They came to the state and they came to us a number of years ago and said, look, we either have a huge expansion coming or we might have an alternative, you know, to make our steel elsewhere. And so we got creative on looking at how could we help um, stabilize and um, have a known cost uh, for this customer from their electricity standpoint, because electricity is a core uh, component of their production. And so we've sat down at the table and we brainstormed on options and ultimately came to an outcome where we have now assisted and helped them construct the largest behind the meter um, solar generation facility. I mean, 300 megawatts almost. It's huge. Um, that's, you know, a utility size system for, you know, a single customer that also supports the system and provides benefits for the rest of the customers in the state. So it not only kept the company here, it enabled them to expand. Um, we partnered closely with the community and with the customer to get to success. And we found a way to make them the greenest steel mill in the world. Uh, and so those are just all kinds of positive outcomes on what can happen if you sit down at the table, you listen, you solution, you know, find solutions to the problem that is stated out there that, you know, really, quite frankly, helps everyone. You find the win-win uh, in order to move it forward. So it was a very exciting project. I'm glad to see it in service now and operating, and it'll be a valuable asset on the system for a long time to come. Well, and it's yet another example of if you had asked me if it was possible a few years ago, and I like to think of myself as a forward-thinking woman, I would have said, no, not possible. So <laughs> it helps remind us that in this moment, when, when we do want to say, well, we do have to acknowledge physics and innovation is still going to keep surprising us um, with this 150 year history is just the beginning of the next 150 year history. So um, what other innovations uh, are you thinking about that we should keep our eyes our eyes open for. What else are you going to do that I think is impossible, Alice? You know, I think there are so many options. You know, I go back to, I was talking about, you know, the problem statements, identifying where the gaps are on the system, where we need technology to advance, to fill the gaps, to get to the zero carbon system or the net zero when you include gas and electric. I'm excited about the innovations around hydrogen and what it might look like, particularly getting to a green hydrogen system. Um, there are so many things that can come. There's a lot of science that can happen in that space. Um, I'm excited about the deep geothermal uh, and some of the possibilities that we have now with fracking tool technology allows us to then look at geothermal from an energy source um, and electricity production. And so there's layers to these technological advancements that then you know really do offer opportunities for other areas. Battery storage is another one. Um, we have lithium ion that's fairly well developed and continues to show price declines and availability, but it also has limitations from the four hour duration uh, to the longevity of the battery itself. Um, so looking at what are the long duration battery storage items, how do you move the excess wind that you have in the spring, like we've been feeling here in Colorado this year, to the summertime when you need it, when it's hot and there is no way. So solving those problems are things that make me excited. But even more so, Tisha, it's not just about what we can do on the bulk system. It's what our customers can do in their homes and their businesses mm. today and how that technology is advancing. We have programmable thermostats that can connect in and do all kinds of different things that we never imagined they would do five to 10 years ago. 
But we also have, you know, additional technologies where people are getting visibility into their homes and how they use energy. When they start plugging in an electric vehicle, if that's something they so choose to buy, it's going to impact their energy consumption. So figuring out what those tools are and really building a true symbiotic relationship will help drive successful outcomes in achieving the clean energy transition. So it's across the board, a lot of really interesting things to look at. And, you know, it's just exciting times. Yeah. And Colorado is just such an interesting playground for this development. Everything from geothermal to hydrogen to a really engaged customer base that wants to experiment (laughs) with these options. Um, Let me just start turning to our final two questions for you, Alice. You you make your job look uh, effortless, but I know it's got to be a really tough job. So um, one of the things I try to tie into my work is how as individuals, we, we really have to draw upon our own values to do this work, to acknowledge what it takes of us as individuals and what what of us as a community. So can you talk to us a little bit about the values that keep you grounded and able to continue to engage in this really challenging environment? Absolutely. And I'm incredibly blessed to have uh, two of the most wonderful people on this planet in my life. And those are my parents. Um, And they instilled in not only me, but also my brothers, you know, a very core value to who we are. And that is respect. It doesn't matter if you agree with somebody else or you disagree with somebody else. They, as an individual, deserve respect. And so sitting down and having the conversation to get to understanding uh, and then hopefully getting to the point where that respect is mutual, where you can share perspective and then solution to find an outcome to a problem that is acceptable to both sides. That's a core tenant uh, for me as an individual. And I think that shows in the way that I have participated uh, in the community and in how I lead here at Excel. And so that to me is the most fundamental piece of who I am as far as a characteristic that I try and bring to the table every day. Well, and one thing I I know of you because you and I met in our in a role of being in service to our community. So I do want to give a quick shout out to the American Red Cross, where you and I got to um, both meet and serve uh, our broader Colorado, Wyoming community with the American Red Cross. So I know that service is just something that you live every day. And I, I admire that about you, Alice. And I thank you for engaging in that way. One final question for you. What are you looking forward to? Oh gosh, there are so many things that I look forward to, you know, on the, the business front is looking at, you know, this energy transition truly coming together. I think a perfect example that gives me hope uh, is the settlement that we just came to with a variety of parties from our community members to environmental groups to, you know, the uh, uh, staff of the commission to the governor's office. I mean, you name it. Uh, there's our customers. It's a huge undertaking and it's a huge accomplishment for us to go. This is it. Um, So I'm really excited about the implementation um, and the process that we're going to go through and showing that that process is something that can be repeated in other states. So I think we're doing a remarkable job of leading not only as a company, but leading as a state across the country on how do you make this move forward and what does it look like? I'm excited about engaging um, with our communities and continuing to talk to them about what are their goals and initiatives and working closely with our customers through these times that are not easy. Uh, to identify how can we be a partner uh, in that process to making sure that they can be successful. Because at the end of the day, it does come back to community. It comes back to the success of our communities being able to thrive. And 
let's be honest, it's a little bit difficult out there right now with everything that we've gone through over the past couple of years. And we need to be there for each other to figure out what that pathway is and find ways to support uh, in order to make it successful. Well, Alice, thank you so much for your leadership in Colorado. I look forward to seeing how other states learn from the example that you set as a leader in Colorado, that Excel Energy is setting um, as a leader, as a leading utility. And thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Alice for taking the time to share her insights with us. There was a lot in here that uh, worked with familiar themes for uh, the energy transition, but two things that struck me as novel were how much balance uh, is required for companies that have to execute on their energy transition aspirations and everything from different political perspectives to operational realities to time horizons people having different ideas about time horizons. So that was really interesting to me. And then this importance of honoring and building off of our shared history, um, like the oil and gas industry with 150 year history, Excel Energy has 150 year history. So I found that fascinating. I'd like to know what you found to be a game-changing insight. So please let me know. You can find out more about our work at Adam and Teen and communicate with us at Energy Thinks. If you like what you're hearing, take a moment and rate us. It helps other oil and gas leaders find the Energy Things podcast. I'd like to thank Adon Rubio, Lindsay Slaughter, and Michael Tanner for doing all the things that makes Energy Things possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.